our January Revived Conference, and as you heard, we have chosen the topic of suffering and sorrow this year for a lot of, I think, obvious reasons. And you're going to be hearing more testimonies from members of our church family beginning tonight, 7 o'clock, and then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday at 7 as well as we uh, do the best we can to take an in-depth look as to what God's Word says about this most pressing and most difficult of topics. Suffering is real. And if you haven't tasted it yet, you will at some point in time in your life. Suffering exists. Children die. COVID is just a very small example of the suffering that takes place all over the world each and every day. Physical diseases and, and natural disasters and, and death and dying and heartache, and it's all over the place, and, 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 and you could understand why an unbeliever would simply ask the question, how can there be a God when there's so much suffering that takes place in the world? And I want you to be able to uh, respond to that question. Whenever I hear that question as to how can there be a God, and whether it's being stated by a skeptic, or maybe it's just being asked by someone who sincerely wants to know because they're, they're suffering. How can they know? My, my typical response is just to turn the question back on them and say, how can there not be? How can you not believe in God when there's so much suffering and so much sorrow in this universe because not to believe is to have no answer for it? I mean, what miseries lie ahead of you if you have to suffer without any sense that there is purpose to your suffering? If there's no purpose in your sorrow, then your sorrow just becomes your own personal misery. And that's why we go to the Bible. And that's why what we have to offer is a very simple fact, that there is a God and our God knows suffering. He's not distant from it. As a matter of fact, he drew near to it. My God has scars. You see, our God understands suffering because the Son of God came to this earth and he became a man of sorrows, one who was acquainted with grief. We have a Savior who suffered on a cross on behalf of our sins. We have a, a Savior who suffered on behalf of his church. And to understand the gospel correctly, you have to know that Jesus described his suffering as his glory. His suffering and his glory are the same. And so when the question is asked, and, and, and it will be asked to you if it hasn't been asked by now, why must there be suffering? Why must there be sorrow? And, and what is the Christian's response to it? I want you to have an answer. And I want you to have a testimony like Stephen and Kelly have. And I want to take you to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 
to look at the life of the Apostle Paul as he justifies his suffering by letting us know that when we suffer like Christ, there's something that we produce in the suffering. And what is produced when we suffer like Christ is hope in the glory of the unseen heaven. Our suffering should always point us to something that you cannot see today. And it is because of that hope that we endure it. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16, let me read the Apostle Paul's writing to the church. Therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. You see, like Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul was a man acquainted with suffering. And as he is writing this, this letter to the church, he is sort of going back and thinking through all that he has endured for the cause of Christ in the gospel. If you remember Paul's story, before he was the Apostle Paul, he was a Pharisee by the name of Saul. And Saul executed a lot of Christians. Saul caused a lot of Christians to suffer and many of them to be put to death. And so the, the very one who caused a lot of Christians to suffer met Christ as he was making his way down a road to a city called Damascus to, to inflict more suffering on Christians. And when Christ met him, he was incredibly converted in that day. And then as a part of Christ's testimony to Paul, he said that this one has become my chosen instrument. And then Jesus said, he will suffer greatly so that the gospel can go out to the Gentiles. Make sure you understand that. Jesus said, I will cause him to suffer for my namesake. As a part of your understanding of who your God is, you have to know that he is both a God who suffers and he is a God at times that will ordain ordain your suffering, just as he did to the apostle Paul. And now here in 2 Corinthians, Paul is writing this letter to the church at Corinth because there were some really bad influences in the church, some pride-filled, arrogant leaders who had come to the church and they were saying things like, why are you listening to Paul? You know this guy? I mean, everywhere he goes, trouble follows him. This man has suffered more than anybody we know. Surely he cannot be blessed of God. Surely he cannot be approved of God. Surely he does not come with the authority of Christ because why would Christ allow such a guy to suffer so much? To which Paul simply, again, turns the argument upside down and says, I find that it's important for me to boast in my suffering." And so in 2 Corinthians, he, he says, you want to know why Christ would invest such authority in someone who suffered so greatly? Well, maybe it's because Christ suffered so greatly as well. And I find myself just uh, humbly as, as, as one man to have an opportunity to suffer like Christ. As a matter of fact, Paul says, I will boast in my sorrow. And in chapter 10 of 2 Corinthians, he, he gives this short list of the sufferings that he's experienced. 
He says, five times I was flogged nearly to death. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, left for death. I've been shipwrecked, lost at sea. I've been without food, without water, without shelter, sometimes without clothing. I've been robbed. I've been forsaken. I've been falsely accused. I've been abandoned by my closest friends. Paul had constant physical pain and he had constant regret of his past sins. He was a man who understood suffering. And yet he saw his suffering as a means to boast in the Lord. He considered his, his suffering as his opportunity to identify with the sufferings of Christ. And he considered his sufferings as being important for the advance of the gospel. Paul knew what it meant to suffer to the glory of Christ. And the reason why he was able to do this is because he, like Christ, had the ability to look beyond his present sufferings. He had the right vision. He was able to bear up against suffering because he believed in the resurrection. The resurrection that one day would free him from, from his body of pain and, and sorrow. The resurrection that one day would allow him to entertain heaven forever. And so Paul said, I am willing to carry the death of Christ in my body. Because one day he desired to carry the resurrected life of Christ in his body forever. He knew that his suffering eventually would be vindicated in heaven. And so Paul was able to do something that I want for you to be able to do. And that is, is inscribe the cross of Christ every time you are asked to suffer. And every time you experience sorrow, would you inscribe upon that difficult time the cross, the cross. And would you then walk away from that time of suffering and boast in the Lord? Like Paul, can you do this? Are you able to boast even in your suffering? So Paul, as he's writing to the church in verse 16, he says, this is why we don't give up. Even though hardships will come, even though times of sorrow will come, even though at times the Lord will ask you to walk through the valley of the shadow of death and not fear evil. And when those times come, Paul says, therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is decaying and dying and we all suffer the consequences of living in a sin-filled, corrupt world, even though the outer man is dying, the inner man is being renewed day by day. Yes, my body can be destroyed. And despite all of his suffering, Paul does not give up because he recognized that he was constantly being strengthened in his heart and in his soul because of that which he believed in. His belief in Jesus and his belief in the resurrection allowed him to look beyond. And so in verse 17, Paul makes this incredible comparison. It's something that I have, I have wrestled with 
my entire saved life. It's something that I have counseled others about, and I still find this, this comparison to be astounding. And the reason is because I, I only know this world, and I only know its chaos, and I only know its difficulties, and I only know its challenges, and I only know its suffering. I only, I only, only know this place. And the comparison that Paul is, is, is saying is I want you to take all of the suffering and all of the sorrow of this life and I want you to put it on one side of the scale and let it weigh you down. And then I want you to take the hope of eternal heaven and I want you to begin to imagine something that he calls the weight of glory. And put the weight of glory on the other side of the scale. And this is what happens. And the absolute entirety of the suffering and sorrow that you will experience in this life, once you have placed the weight of glory on the other side of the scale, becomes light and momentary. Of all the graces in Scripture, friends, listen to verse 17. For our momentary light affliction. Do you get that? All of the suffering and the sorrow that you will experience in this life, the Bible calls momentary and light. For our momentary Light affliction is producing something for us. What that means is when you bear up against suffering like Christ, like Paul, when you are able to endure it by God's grace, it produces something in you. And here's what it produces, an absolutely incomparable, eternal weight of God's glory. There's purpose in suffering for the Christian. There's reason for it. And often, the reason for your suffering now is for what is still yet to come. Offering the, often the very thing that God is wanting to produce in you when you experience sorrow is that that you will experience one day in heaven. That's what is being produced. So Paul is, is saying, take the, take the entirety of all of your suffering and all of your sorrow and just know that, that these storms are merely teacups compared to the ocean of glory that awaits us in heaven. Yes, I, I don't want to discount it. Because when, when you're asked to endure it, it does feel like a heavy load. And yes, suffering and sorrow can weigh you down. It can knock you down. At times it can feel like it's suffocating you. But then I want you to be like Paul and I want you to simply look beyond the present circumstances and look ahead, look far ahead. Look into eternity and know what I'm experiencing now is temporary. And then compared to the, to the weight of glory in heaven, it is light. 
There is no comparison. That's why he says it is absolutely incompatible in the face of suffering. When you compare suffering to heaven, heaven wins. Heaven wins. And we have so many testimonies of this, just like you've heard from our own church family. You know, in the early church, the Lord allowed and purposefully ordained periods of severe suffering to take place on these early Christians. Periods of persecution. Many Christians horribly put to death, suffering for the sake of Christ in the gospel. Many tortured, many killed, and the church didn't flee from the suffering. It endured it and used it for the advancement of the gospel. You know, there have been many plagues throughout history. I mean, we, we, we've become experts in contemporary plagues. We've learned a lot, right? The early church experienced plagues. There were plagues during the Roman Empire. And, and in one of the testimonies of God's grace and God's glory during the plagues that affected the Roman Empire in the early church is that the Christians in the early church didn't run away from the plagues. They didn't flee like many other Romans did. As a matter of fact, they entered into it so that when someone was sick because of the plague, they went and took care of that person, whether he was a Christian or not. And many Christians both got the plague and died from it, but used it as an opportunity to advance the gospel to the point where, as Augustine looked back on the early church, he said, you know, Christians seem to be able to suffer better than the rest. <laughs> we all suffer. But Augustine's testimony was Christians are able to suffer better. And I need to make sure you know why that is. And I need to make sure your hope is in the right place so that when it comes, you suffer better. As the early church was being persecuted and as there was so much suffering taking place, another church father by the name of Tertullian, he said, he said to, to those who, who were uh, in charge of, of the empire during that day, he said, go ahead and kill us. Condemn us, grind us to the dust. Your injustice is merely proof that we are innocent. As a matter of fact, the more often we are mowed down by you, the more in number we become. The blood of Christians becomes the seed of the church. And it was true. We would not be here today unless they rightly endured suffering for the sake of Christ. You see, I think the Bible tells us that suffering reveals God and his gospel in ways that without suffering you would not know God or his gospel. Suffering reveals God and his gospel like, like nothing else because one of the things that you learn from suffering, things that I've learned when I've gone through periods of sorrow, is that there are aspects of God that come alive to you. Where at times you can believe in God, but, but God is somewhat abstract. But when you suffer and believe in God, God becomes personal. 
And there is this utter dependence that you experience when you go through trials and when you go through pain. And that was the testimony of C.S. Lewis, who came to, to believe in Christ. And, and as a Christian, he was a brilliant guy. And, and he still had a lot of abstract ideas about who God was. And then he, 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 late in his life, he married someone who he so desperately loved the absolute love and joy of his life. And then soon after, he watched her die from cancer. And he wrote about it. That's how he found joy in suffering. And he says, I learned some things about God <laughs> that I hadn't learned before because, you see, God tends to whisper to us in our pleasures, although he speaks to us often in our conscience, but he shouts to us in our pain. He's not absent, you see. God isn't absent in your suffering. He's shouting to you in your suffering. The question is whether or not you're listening. Now, I, I, I know that suffering is not unique to Christians, but neither are Christians um, given the, the, the freedom from suffering. We all do because we all live in a sin-stained and corrupt world. And Christian or not, many people want to make the world a better place, and, and many people want to try to rid the world from its suffering, but they simply can't get it there. Of all the many thoughts and desires and of the billions of dollars that are spent on trying to stave off suffering in this world, they have failed. They have failed. And, and even we, how much money do you spend on, on staying alive? And how much money would you spend on, on staving off your own personal suffering? To the secularists, they... They see suffering as meaningless and devoid of God. The secular mindset would say suffering is senseless and the person who suffers is merely a victim, just an unfortunate victim. For those who hold to other religions... They identify suffering, but often they identify suffering as, as some sort of act of a cruel God. It's just the wrong end of the roulette wheel, the casting of the dice. Other people of faith would see suffering as, 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 as God's purpose to try to bring some sort of balance to the universe. Good karma, bad karma, the things that you do or do not do. Christianity is radically different, and the Bible tells us why. Because not only do we acknowledge that there is suffering and sorrow in the universe, Christianity and Christianity alone believe that God entered into a suffering universe and suffers. Our God has scars. And we are the only people of faith who would affirm that. That God himself came into the world and endured suffering on the cross in order to gain victory over it so that we could not just focus on the suffering, you see, but that we could look beyond it. Jesus' suffering 
allowed us to believe that God himself cares. And Jesus defeated death. And because of his resurrection, he takes the sting out of suffering and out of death. And because of that, you see, suffering has meaning and purpose. Because if God asks me to suffer, as 1 Peter chapter 2 says, he is giving me an opportunity to imitate my Savior. He says, if you are called to suffer, then do so. Because so did Christ. And he'd endured it on your behalf. And so you can endure it on his behalf. The follower of Christ gets to identify with Christ. In other words, we get to suffer. It's not that you have to. It's that you get to. And I, I, and I want to say that humbly. I don't desire it. But if I'm called to it, it's something that I get to do. Because Christ did it for me. And in suffering like Christ, like Paul, there's, there's no sting attached to it because I, I'm able to look beyond it by God's grace and not to fear it. So verse 18, this is why Paul says, so we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. But what is unseen is eternal. Paul understood that his many sufferings were being used by God to advance the gospel and strengthen the church. That's why he wrote about it. And his encouragement for us is, look, if you're called to suffer, then bear up against it. But as you're suffering, look ahead and look way ahead. Look as far ahead as you can. Look so far ahead that you are looking to that place where there will be no suffering. And you will be experiencing this eternal weight of glory. Do not focus on that which you can see. Try to get your heart and mind to imagine what is still yet to be seen. It's all about where you fix your eyes more than what you're experiencing. Now, I don't know if you're the same as me, but whenever I find myself in a really hard place, I can develop what, what I might call spiritual myopia. I get nearsighted. All I care about is what's going on in the present. I just want out. I just want to get rid of the pain. I just want to get out of this or blame somebody for it. I, I, just, I just want out. And Paul is basically saying this is what you can't do. Don't develop spiritual nearsightedness. You'll miss the whole point. Fix your eyes on what is beyond. And that's going to be the purpose, you see, of, of our conference this week. We're going to learn from the scriptures how we address the issue of suffering from the Bible and how we can draw closer to God when it comes. And, and, and we're going to learn how, what we are to do and, and not to do. And, and, and like Job, who had, had to learn to fix his eyes beyond what he was experiencing. Job had to learn to look beyond the very difficult present circumstances that he faced. He had to learn not to focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. 
Job had to learn that what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And one of the things I want for us to learn in our conference this week is how not to be like Job's friends. Because Job's friends, all they wanted him to do was to stay myopic, to stay nearsighted, and, and to figure out what he did wrong to cause all of this. Rather than, hey, Job, maybe you just should say, God's got some purpose in this, look ahead. I want for you to know how to help someone else who's suffering. That's a part of what we do as Christians and as a family. I want us to be able to weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn. That's part of our calling. We're going to learn that this week. How do we do that? And, and we're going to be willing to, to this week ask those, those difficult questions about how suffering is a part of God's good and perfect will for our lives. Yes, it is a part of God's will. It's not distant from God's will. We've got to know that and know why. So that as Christians, when we experience pain and when we weep and when we suffer and when we grieve, we do it all with hope. Because our culture will not be able to make sense out of suffering. And the reason why our culture cannot make sense out of suffering because it cannot make sense out of the cross and the resurrection. I don't expect anyone to have the right answers about suffering and sorrow unless they have the right answers about the cross and the resurrection. But if you have the right answers about the cross and the resurrection, you have the right answers about suffering. Just apply them. By faith, live them out. Believe that, 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 that Christ came for us to have the answer to this. Remember, the first time that Jesus came, his first coming, he did not come with a sword to just take away all of the sinners in this world. No, Jesus came the first time with empty hands so those empty hands would experience nails so that he could take away your suffering in heaven. So understand the purpose of that. And know that, that, that once you taste of the suffering of Christ, only then will you be able to taste in the glory of Christ. What Paul is trying to say to us today is that your future glory, in part, is being produced by your present suffering. And that's how it works. Your present sorrows are building something that you will receive and enjoy later. They are producing something that's weighty, something that is eternal. That's why Paul suffered so greatly, but he was never defeated by it. He knew what his suffering was producing as a testimony to the church to advance the gospel and for his future glory in heaven. Paul says, I am constantly hard-pressed, but I'm not crushed. I'm struck down by sorrow, but I'm not destroyed by it. My body is wasting away, but my spirit is being renewed day by day. For Paul, suffering was not an if, but a when. And the same is for you, friends. If you haven't tasted it yet, you will. On this side of heaven, we will all taste suffering. 
And when you are asked to taste it, please don't waste it. The worst thing that you could do is to suffer and waste the suffering. I mean, not find any reason for it, not finding any purpose for it, not being able to look back on it and give testimony to the, the grace and the glory of God. Don't waste suffering. Even your physical death, would you not want your physical death in some way to be used by a sovereign God to produce eternal life in someone else? Even in death, we can bring glory to God and God can make it useful for the sake of of others. And so there's this important realization that we need to make. And it's, it's not like I'm just going to be the first person in line to sign up for this, but I do have to realize this. I need to suffer at times. I need it. God cannot produce in me what he wants to produce unless I experience it. And I have to be willing to receive it and say, yes, Lord. Yes. And maybe also, church, it's time for us to realize that the long-awaited revival that we so desperately want and pray for may not come until we experience it. I want revival to come, and I pray for it. But am I praying whatever it takes to bring it? You see, when I look to Stephen and Kelly and I've heard them share their testimony on a number of occasions, and every time I say, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Just witnessing the reality of their pain, and yet watching them struggle through it and, and suffer through it, and watching them just go through sorrow and, and grief, and yet never denying God, always placing their hope in Christ and, and singing about it and praying about it and, and, and speaking about it. I just find that, that there's another example of, of how God makes our suffering useful for his kingdom's sake and produces in the one who has suffered glory. And, then, and having conversations with us time and time again with, with individuals who, who are suffering. I, I remember just a while back, and this lady, and she had suffered so greatly. And, and I was asking her, what has she learned from the trial? And if I could just paraphrase, she, she basically says, well, I, I've learned that you don't really understand that Jesus is all you really need until Jesus is all that you have. I thought, how profound is that? How can I know that Jesus is all I need until I get to that point where Jesus is all that I have? And this is how suffering results in, in, in the greater glory of God when when. Baby Caitlin was in the hospital and she basically was brain dead. And I found myself just for a moment in, in the room alone with her and just, just looking. I asked the question, 
I said, God, would you be more glorified by allowing the baby to die today or, or giving the baby miraculous life? And if you, if you did right now, give her, give her back her life and, and we would forever then say, look at the miracle that you have done, God. Would, wouldn't that be better? And you, you can plead with God all that you want, but at some point in time, if you don't submit to his sovereign will, you will never actually get it. That he knows and that he wills. And whether he gives or takes away, blessed be his name. You see, the great hope for the suffering saint is knowing that our sovereign Savior has scars. He's not distant from suffering. He joined into it. And forever in heaven, that will be our realization as we long, long apart from suffering in heaven enjoying the eternal weight of glory, we'll still find that occasion where we look at the hands of Jesus and we see the scars. Our suffering, sovereign Lord, knows what it means to suffer. Because of that, we know what it means to live for him. Father, I know that in our church family, we, we have those who are suffering some severely, some in lesser ways, but still nonetheless, their sorrow and their pain is real. And I pray that this message, I pray this week in our conference, they would find hope, they would find grace, they would find the right type of healing. Now they would want to identify with Christ if called upon to do so, in whatever way they've call, they're called upon to do it. And Father, I pray that maybe there's someone who, who really is struggling and, and they're, they're, beginning, they're beginning to doubt you. How can you exist? How can you be when there's so much bad, so much evil? Maybe now they understand. Christ experienced all of it and more so that we might one day be freed from it. Thank you, Father, that your son still has scars. Thank you that we can imitate him and by your grace give reason for suffering and sorrow. Please bless our week, bless the speakers, bless our time. May it be fruitful for your church and your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.